I'm going to change my team's picture to a Nissan Versa. Hey, everyone. It's Friday, December 4th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you the delicious tech news headlines and all of the gossipy hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, myself, Russ Cantwell, and not actually Aaron Bewley today. Uh, Aaron couldn't join us. We have a guest, the John Nicholson. How's it going, fellas? Happy to be here, man. Senior field financial correspondent. That's right. There's there's been a lot of finance news this week. I mean, <laughs> there has been. There's and also today is you know it's not my birthday, but it's also Jobs Friday, uh, which oh, is so you know true. just amplifies financial discussion. Jobs Friday, so exciting. Go on, tell us about that. Jobs Friday. It's the the jobs report that comes out monthly. So it's yes, but we want you to tell us about it. So the <laughs> yeah, so the U.S. Labor Department, the November report out because it's always in arrear, um, is out. Um, basically, the consensus uh, in terms of forecasting, you know, basically it's 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 not good. Um, the recovery of jobs is happening, but it is slowing. Um, the other thing also is that the number of people who are falling off of what they call looking for jobs where they're the long-term unemployed, which is, I think, more than six months, that's the highest it's been since the 70s. Uh, so, of course, with this despair, I'm sure the markets are up um, since, you know, we stocks live... Stocks only go up. Yeah, stocks only go up. Um, and much like me trying to predict Tesla falling eventually, remember... <laughs> It's not a when you're trying to make short bets, you know, and, and make bets against the market. It's not about yeah. being right. It's about the fact that the Fed can stay solvent longer than you. That so is a fact that is absolutely a fact. Oh, and you're not the only one that had to cut and run on their Tesla shorts. Uh, I forget the name now, but a, a significant short investor um, cut into uh, his holdings and, and cut loose on that. I saw that, um, too. I forget how many millions, but it was a it was big. Chance. It was a big. So, so basically, Tesla Tesla won that one. <laughs> yeah, full disclosure: I am not short on Tesla. I stay the hell away from that stock. <laughs> um, but it only goes up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, I I think the there was an argument recently someone made that the the most logical thing he should be doing is uh, that they should be doing is just printing shares or doing acquisitions to actually like lock that value on the book somehow. Um, uh, that's the, the guy responsible for the big short. Yep. I was um, going to say, I was like, I think that's the same guy. Name, <laughs> it is. It is. His name just slipped my mind. But uh, yeah, he was the one who came out and said, you need to do these things if you're going to keep just I mean, skyrocketing the, the, to whatever the heck valuation you're at. Um, I mean, we had some earnings this week. Uh, Zoom, you know, always the they they report they 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 had a beat. Their revenue grew three hundred and sixty six percent year over year. This doesn't shock us, um, but it's it's interesting when we talk about Zoom. You also have to talk about kind of the other darling of new collaboration and 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 the, these pandemic times, and that's Slack. Um, and so Slack. The, I've never yeah. heard of them. Did something happen with them or what's do you the not work Russell? Deal? Because the ticker <laughs> it was literally work. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, yes, I, I do work. My job, it comes up. I know about Slack. Uh, it has been a big year. It's funny. Actually, our, uh, 
we have a unified communications team here at SHI. And one of them made an interesting comment earlier in the year, obviously, when all of the pandemic hit. And they said that it was basically the Super Bowl for unified communications. So for all of the different things that you would do for collaboration type of work. And they, they were not wrong. It's just a, it's this Super Bowl is in overtime. It's been going much longer than we really anticipated it with how much we're seeing adoption in this space. So definitely a big year for, for Slack and the like. Well, wh- one thing that's interesting is I was recently having some conversations with some colleagues who do uh, unified communication at some very large companies, you know, with 30,000 plus employees. And one of the challenges is historically, if you didn't provide good tools, which I'll be honest, is a lot of enterprise messaging before this um, in chat. I mean, if you were lucky, you just had something that was a clone of a Jabber client. Um, You basically ended up with a hell of a lot of shadow IT. Like there's a chat system that was in Salesforce. In fact, if someone was asking about it like several weeks ago, um, I was talking to a friend, you know, about it. And there's these chat embedded in all these tools, and they're all garbage. And everyone ended up, you know, people were use WhatsApp heavily. They use Telegram. They use all these text messages. If you think about how much business chatter goes on between salespeople and other people internally and things like that within yeah. a company, how much of it doesn't get captured? The unified communication, you spend all this money, you spend $1,500 on this stupid phone that has a color screen <laughs> and a chat app that, you know, MSN Messenger is better better UX then. And you basically, you know, end up with your employees largely just talking over either the public switch telephone network or using text messages. Like, it's, yep. we're going to work around it. It's what we do. Or email, you know, the the, the chat oh. client of last resort. You say you say or email as though it's not the first resort for so many people. I mean, Still we, I will say that we've done a pretty good job of the transitioning to using uh, Microsoft Teams for things like document sharing and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's incredible for working on documents. Together, it's a SharePoint right? client. It's a fantastic SharePoint client. Everything yeah. else, it's mediocre at best. Um, I would dare say, and for those of you who used to know what business travel was, this may be familiar. (laughs) Microsoft has spent 20 years. So if we look at the legacy of this, if we go back to before Teams, there was Skype for Business. Before Skype for Business, there was Link. Before Link, there was OCS. Before OCS, there was Live Communication Server. And before Live Communication Server, there's the root of why this is a terrible communication tool. I, I, Exchange I like 2000 conferencing. I, I like how you said that like we got rid of these things. I had Skype for Business <laughs> on my computer until like three weeks ago on my work computer. And they, oh, the team finally there. removed it. And there were still – there were so many people who still use Skype as the primary way that they were actually messaging uh, even yeah. though we had teams and I would tell people I actually put a message on there. I said, if you want to find me, I'm on teams. Ah. <laughs> Don't send me a message. On yeah, there. And of course, yeah, no, that would been... lead to people calling me because they didn't either want to or have teams. So they didn't want to quote unquote, figure it out. So getting the adoption in the enterprise is sometimes maddening for some of these tools, even if they are I'm better. Sure. Well, so here's the thing though, the, the people in companies that adopt teams, do so pu- over other things purely for financial because of bundling with Office 365. Oh, sure. No one, if they were going out for an RFP and they had fresh money to spend and it was a perfect world, would buy it. It is effectively the Nissan Versa 
<laughs> of communication. And hear me out. If you have ever been on a business trip, you have a finance department who decides what you can rent. And what do you get if you're at a company that doesn't really like your people who travel? You get a Nissan Versa. <laughs> which is, you know what? Fine if you're driving around Austin or San Francisco. Be, maybe. But you know what? When you're in Colorado and you're in a snowstorm and you're coming back from a trip and you're thinking my finance people want to kill me. Like that's how much, that's how much they wanted to save $10 or $5 on renting something bigger. And and that is fundamentally, if your organization is using teams. And so one of the narratives that's come out of this, my team's picture to a Nissan Versa. So one of the narratives that's come out of this deal, this $26 billion acquisition of Salesforce uh, buying Slack, which we'll get back to why that's a great acquisition. Um, one of the things that's come out of this is someone saying, well, there's 150 million people on Teams. Okay, they're counting the fact that it auto-launches on every PC you've ever installed Office 365 on. They're not saying daily send 10 messages a day. They're not using any actual metric of usability. This is... Microsoft is the god king of coming up with useless metrics to make their software sound adoption. Cisco, you guys try really hard with saying, you know, there were a million FCOE ports sold, but in reality, it was a free license <laughs> bundle with every Nexus. Our industry is full of nonsense t- ways to make something sound Isn't more fiber popular. Fiber channel over token ring the dominant protocol used out there? Yes. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's. True. This is something that if you look at all of Microsoft's messaging and the people are saying it's one, these are people who clearly, yeah, again, these are people who think running a Nissan Versa is a great idea at all times. Um, this is These are not organizations that have embraced chat in a transformative way to where chat becomes the default communication yeah. method. And instead, this is for organizations where the, their users, they had to deliver something and they didn't care if it was fundamentally, you know, the thing you reach for behind Zoom, Slack, email, WhatsApp, FaceTime, iMessage, Telegram, and God forbid, an actual G711 phone call. Um, that's that's where Teams is in the in the stack hierarchy. Now, I will say, as long as it is not maybe your primary way of doing video and voice communication, I think the experience that that teams provides is actually quite quite good as far as the just general communication setting up i'm just going to use the term but you're here. someone coming off of your your frame of reference for enterprise chat is what skype for business i mean this is this is stockholm syndrome if i thought getting punched in the face daily was normal getting punched every other day would be great Russell. sounds great that's right <laughs> Oh, that is, that's just brilliant. John coming it's, on and just throwing gold left and right. Strong. That's, that's strong. That's so so let's, let's get back with. to the real, let's get back to the actual deal and not my hatred <laughs> of, of Microsoft's 20 year legacy of failing at chat. I'm just going to start um, texting you pictures yeah. of different Microsoft text chat apps like every other day. Innocent Messenger month. had a better UX. Come on. Anyways, get out. So let's talk about why this matters. So one of the biggest challenges for Slack in, in the sales process, and for those of you who work in IT, you may just assume that the best products win. And then someone will snugly mention Betamax, uh, which is a terrible example. I was, I was um, about to. Absolutely. So I'm glad I did. The reality is, is look at, you know, frankly, a lot of there's a lot of technology that it's not about being the best. It's about sometimes being the easiest to consume. And if you already sure, own it. Absolutely. That is 80% of a sales cycle. Like if you already own it, then it's just a matter of someone getting you to use it. And then at your renewal, they'll raise your renewal because they know you're actually yeah. getting value. 
Uh, so you you pay for it. But the the thing here though is is uh, let's look at Salesforce. Salesforce at its core is CRM and other things platform you build out from there. Right. Um, Salesforce is the dominant force in CRM. Uh, when you look for at sure. other, lar- if you're going to leave Salesforce and you're a large company, uh, your options are what Oracle. Um, if you're a medium player, you could probably get away with NetSuite, maybe Dynamics, and then you start getting to Zoho and Sugar CRM and all kinds of abominations. Um, I would dare say a CRM system is actually harder to migrate than an ERP system. Oof. And here's why. Uh, because of you people, salespeople. If you look at an organization, <laughs> you have more salespeople than anything. And and like look at take VMware as an example. We have a lot of salespeople. There's probably more of them, you know, than the next group's engineering who don't deal with either, you know. Thank God for them. And then you have like the people that really deal with the ERP. That's like accounting and backend operations and maybe HR, depending on if you split out your HR management. Um, some people do. So the amount of people you have to retrain on a CRM is mind boggling. These sure. are people that every minute they're getting retrained, they're not selling, which is bad. And then the other thing is because everyone else uses Salesforce, you don't have to train people because they probably work somewhere else where they already learned how to use it. Yep. Network oh, yeah, knowledge. And so this is something as sticky, or dare I say stickier, than Office 365. So Microsoft trying to just leverage the bundle deal with Teams, that was a great strategy, deliver a mediocre enough product and bundle, and it was probably going to gain them some ground, and Slack might have lost in the long term. But just entirely off of that bundle deal with the CRM, uh, Salesforce is going to come back hard. And Salesforce doesn't have any opportunity. They already have everyone who's probably going to be a customer. They don't have any opportunity to grow um, organically through just selling more of the existing product. Their growth is going to have to come from selling more products to the same customer, much like how VMware used to be a hypervisor company. And then it became a, you know, um, a bunch of other things company along the way. Um, once you get you know five hundred thousand customers and you know selling IT stuff, you probably have reached a point where anyone who has money, you probably already have as a customer. So that's where Salesforce is. This deal makes a lot of sense. So what do we think it means for Slack? So Slack is used in so many different scenarios. Like in particular, I'm thinking of you know community curation <laughs> yeah. in a way, right? Sure. So like the expert, for instance. So you asked me earlier, John, before we started recording, do I use Slack? And and obviously we use Teams for work. Sorry, I don't mean to offend you. But we we do, and we don't. Most people don't actually have access to Slack. It's it's locked down on our PCs. I do have access to Slack because I have some uh, customers who use it, and we had to use it to joint and manage some projects. And so before that, I used to actually keep a PC at my work desk, which is actually still sitting there, and I haven't been there in eight months. But I used to keep one there that would actually run the Slack client on our guest network so that I could interact with vExpert, which ironically, I'm not even in right now because of Tim Davis. It's, it's actually his fault. Oh, Ask him about Tim. it. Ooh, I'm calling why? you out, Tim. That's right. We had a little bit of a communication snurfuffle, and uh, it got all mixed up. But it's his fault is what it comes down to. So, so they- I don't even need that Slack access right now. But what do we think it means for that? Because there's a lot of free use of Slack that's out there that I assume yeah. will continue. Uh, but I, I also don't know. What do you think? So I, I think that they will maintain that. My my insider knowledge of Slack is they have derisively uh, viewed Zoom just – Zoom, Zoom trying to monetize anyone who wasn't a real business. Um, they basically didn't care. 
and they looked at Zoom has posted these ridiculous numbers of um, users, particularly on their free tier during the pandemic, or these people who like adopted it for, you know, Boy Scout meetings and things like that. And Slack's like, we don't care about any of that. Slack was actually originally founded to do uh, chat for gaming. And then they realized there is no money in fighting Discord, you know, for those. Right. Discord for life. Um, and they have they have a culture of very much avoiding that. Salesforce has never done any B two C. They have never tried to monetize anything in in business to consumer. I I see no path, particularly in either company's DNA, towards trying to monetize those groups. And getting back to my earlier statement, um, there's an advantage to adopting a platform that your staff already knows how to use. And so, leaving that free community use out there, which it's used by a lot of different groups for that. Um, that basically it trains your users already on how to use it. So I think it would be a huge mistake to try to get some pennies off the ground from some businesses. Um, I think there's, there's also the other thing to think about is what is Slack that free use also do is it harvests emails. And so if you're a giant CRM company and you're looking for connecting people and connecting data, I mean, this is why Microsoft bought LinkedIn so they could buy everyone's, uh, Microsoft, just internally, selfishly, their salespeople have everyone's org chart and everyone's contact information. Uh, if Slack can harvest that off of that, I mean, there's other synergies there. I, I don't, I don't see any, any need for a company that what are they making like twenty bazillion dollars a year already? Um, needs yeah, to try to shake down, you know, an open source Kubernetes user group for. Pen- <laughs> <laughs> That's good because that was the other use of Slack. <laughs> <laughs> that I had was for for the actual Kubernetes rollout team. So yeah, I actually had the same opinion. Uh, I had a few people actually ask me about this yesterday, uh, and, and I I sort of had the same opinion of you know I I don't know that this is something that they functionally care about other than the fact that I think if they took it away, it may actually hurt them because I think that Slack got a significant amount of usage. <laughs> from the fact that it had the ability to get free, uh, sort of free testing and free usage out of users. You don't have to market something. They don't have to market it. Everyone everyone knows it exists. So it's it's, it's, it's the marketing budget, really. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good point. I agree. Let's see. What else we got here today? We got, so, you know, Jobs Friday. John hates Microsoft Teams, Salesforce, and Slack. That's That's been the agenda so far. <laughs> He's on what, other, not what other interesting things? Do we have any favorite. other earnings-related pieces out here? Any other acquisitions that went down? Uh, didn't NetApp have earnings this week? They did. They did. They did. Uh, and it was a beat. Congratulations they over they, there. They beat it by a good bit, if I uh, read correctly. Uh, several of the enterprise, there's been a couple enterprise uh, earnings over the past month, and they've all been pretty, pretty solid, strong um, results uh, through adversary, particularly anyone who's in B2B, not not B2C. Um, I'd expect a lot of interesting seasonality of deals and hit and miss. But um, I think the other thing also is in looking to this uh, businesses who aren't, you know, on the, on the very small business side of thing, because those guys are all getting slaughtered. Um, I think a lot of the larger businesses are starting to prepare to come out of this. Um, they're not necessarily fully ramped up hiring, but um, I, I think it, it feels very much right now. This entire environment, you know, uh, feels like it's never ending. But the light is at the end of the tunnel. The CDC has come out and said every American who wants a vaccine should have one by June. Um, we're looking at some of the phasing coming out. Uh, talking to some people in the local uh, hospital and first responders groups that are already starting to sign up and get scheduled. Um, both Pfizer and Moderna are getting their vaccines. Uh, their shipments are happening, right? They're starting to happen right now. Yeah, that supply chain's looking pretty good. 
Yeah, There's actually a lot of interesting news about the supply chain side. Apparently, government-backed uh, hackers are are targeting the distribution of oh, good. COVID-19 vaccines. Yeah, it's a uh, it's hard to imagine something more globally hateful right now than trying to prevent this pandemic coming to an end or being ebbed in any any well, way. Well, it's so. it's about us coming out first and not them. I mean, yeah. it's, it's economic warfare at its finest. I mean, the fact sure. that there's a body count of civilians associated with it, I guess, is pretty dark. But that's um, that's my point there. It's the when you operate I mean, in a zero sum game. The, the nation state perspective exactly is that you know maybe it, maybe even it's hurting us more than it's hurting them right now. But regardless, <clears throat> any control over it could improve their situation relative to other nations. The, the so good, I understand where it's coming from. It's just. I mean, the good news is the medical system, despite all of the progress attempts, is still very much wedded to paper and fax machines in a lot of these areas, uh, particularly in Dem- <laughs> it, it, No, no. I mean, my my wife was actually like trying to work with APIs and being like, wait, our health department still takes faxes as the primary intake the start of this. It's it's kind of unnerving. But it's it's something to where those groups have moved so slow on intercommunication of systems that I, I don't think that'll be very effective. Um there's some complexities in the supply chain. Uh, in the U.S., though, this shouldn't be a big issue. Uh, the Pfizer vaccine is requiring extreme cold. Um, you require either a very cold freezer or you just pile dry ice on it, um, which is probably what a lot of groups will do. Those doses are coming out in 1,000-unit batches just because of how cold it needs to be. So uh, the Moderna one shipping in 100-unit batches, I'm hearing. And so for smaller communities, that's probably what they'll get, and that only needs – general you know regular freezer refrigerators um so that'll be fine the the big thing is there will be a slight delay because you've got what is it 21 28 day spread on these vaccines between the first and second dose which a little weird so you're going to get a fun card that tells you when you need to go back in and get the other dose Um, it's really going to be a fun card how fun i mean it's a little white card it's got some lines and bars uh, sure but it's an encouraging message on it. Yeah, I, I like think one I of those think, frogs with 100% or something. I want one of those happy way to go. You yeah. finished your worksheet kind of cards. No, it's it's we, well, I mean, once you get can, once you get both stamps, though, it's like your travel pass. Like you got you got your multi you get free your ice cream lollipop. Well, something. no, you're like, you oh, know, wait, my name's Aaron Buley, Aaron Buley multi pass. I, I'm thinking fifth <laughs> element stuff. So, John, I, I, I actually, I, this is, I, I was going to, there's multiple times I was going to text you this week. I didn't do it once. I don't know why. Uh, I've been curious about this because surely you and your wife have talked about this with the, the vaccine itself. And one of the biggest hurdles I think we could probably all agree in is whether or not human beings will choose to go get this vaccine. Uh, what do you think on that matter? Like, would you end up going to get it? And Tyler, maybe same question to you. My wife also works in the medical industry and she has, she has her thoughts and, and even concerns at times. So I'm just kind of curious, are you going to be first in line? Uh, uh, my wife, my can? wife signed up for, for it. I mean, she'll be getting either the Moderna or the Pfizer. So that's the new fancy MRNA. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm planning Does she on. Have to? Does she? Is she required? No, no, they're not requiring anybody. the The thing is, is like the reality is, is as the doses come in, there's enough people who want it that having to bring down the hammer and mandate it yeah. in the healthcare community. It's, I mean, if you work around that stuff, um, it's it's not necessarily as big of a deal. Um, I think in terms of like, people talk about like, oh, we should force people or try to do that stuff. The challenge is that kind of backfired. I think they tried that with the, the swine flu vaccine. That was kind of a fiasco back and partly was probably the undoing of Ford. Um, and so th- those are some things. It, the, the vaccine community has a very long history of screwing things up. 
That's encouraging. Um, well, no, what I, mean, what I mean is, is every screw up they've had in the past 200 years of ethics, of getting adoption, they're just very conservative. And they know that, um, I mean, to the point of like, the, I mean, the safety studies we do now versus that versus in the past of placebos and these massive, oh gosh, you know, uh, one groups, and all this stuff. I mean, you gotta look at the mRNA vaccine. Legitimately, the FDA and Moderna stared at each other for the past 10 years and, and said, we want to start a phase one. And the FDA said, well, we want to see safety data. And they said, well, we'll get you safety data from phase one. And they just went in a circle <laughs> for 10 years. <laughs> but I mean, the, 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 the scope of these studies, normally you're looking at for a, to get through a phase three trial, you might have what, 3,500 people. We're putting 15,000 people in a phase. And yeah, yeah I know I saw, we're, we're convincing 30 plus thousand in, in one of them that they were testing. And you, you do get some reactions in the phase one trial, but the phase one is when you figure out what the dosage is. So you purposely give some people some kind of giant doses. <laughs> and so, and then you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's too much. <laughs> that's <a bit> much. <laughs> uh, and so, no, I mean, the real guinea pigs are not phase three, they're phase one. No. And we're done with phase one. We learned where the dosages should be. You know, you give 15,000 people these vaccines and you don't have any severe adverse reactions. The handful of people who actually get COVID don't end up hospitalized or have any severe stuff. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty, pretty good data. Um, the other thing to remember is that traditional vaccines, they're using like an antivirus or something where they basically they they use another virus and they use that as the payload to deliver it. Uh, this is using mRNA directly. So sometimes people would have a reaction to that other, which is basically a cold virus that would get used mm -hmm. uh, to deliver that. Um, this is just dumping the mRNA. Or it's dumping mRNA in, and that creates the protein fragments. And it's not even creating the whole virus. It's creating a, a fragment uh, from the, uh, the, spiky the spike protein. And then your body's reacting to that. And so the, the MR I don't think I recognize that they weren't recreating the virus, yeah. which I think is pretty commonly done. In, in most well, it took them two days. It took them two days to build gosh, the fast, mRNA man. vaccines. That's how f mRNA is Jeez, super fast. The challenge was is getting the payload delivery. Uh, it's so fragile. mRNA fragments are so fragile. One, they're having to store it cold. But two, they basically found a way to use some like lipid or something to encapsulate it in so they can get the delivery to be stable enough. That's actually been the real problems with it. Um, that, that doesn't surprise me. I remember seeing some of the stuff that talked about the mRNA side, and there are a lot of people that don't understand that. Not surprisingly, I didn't know the details that you just shared with us, and I'm, I'm not privy to or knowledgeable about, you know, the fragmentation or, you know, why the delivery was so difficult or why they're so uh, fragile, for instance. But I, I was reading one article that was talking about the fact that these mRNA um, uh, doses, right, they literally don't have a fully functional virus in any capacity. It's not. The well, and to be fair, the live virus vaccine, the other one I'm talking about, it's a different virus. It's a, it's a crappy cold virus that basically right, right, uses right. the payload to deliver what they want. Um, this is, but yeah, this is, this is just some mRNA fragments suspended. So and cool. so, and it, what's cool about this is one thing to think about is your body will build resistance to that antivirus or other viruses in general. And so that's why getting 70% efficacy is actually pretty darn good mm -hmm. because you basically can build resistance or your body can just focus on that virus instead of the payload it was carrying but with mRNA. There's nothing to distract the immune system. And so yeah. that's why these 95% results are are just shocking. They're yeah, jarring. Awesome. They're huge. 
And, you know, Moderna is going to make some money on this, whatever, but you paranoid conspiracy bunks. The real money is in finally getting safety approval for mRNA. I was going to say, and this, this just becoming, opens up an entire category of we're going to We're going to go to war on every happened. cold. We're going to go to war yeah, on the flu. Everybody. We're going to go to war on Gosh, everything. That's cool. And, and normally, go. normally, so you take that, that other virus, you have to culture that. Um, and you have to culture it in something. So there's some, you can do it in plants. You can do it. Egg is a real common one, the chicken. Um, and that takes several months. And so that's why, um, we're probably not going to get the phase three on like the Janssen, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, the other more traditional vaccines. We're not going to see that till January versus this stuff. They're able to produce within two days and start the trials earlier. Gosh, that's going to, that's absolutely going to change the game change, how we do flu vaccinations. It absolutely that's, that's will. Well, part of the, part of the challenge is you got to guess early. And so yeah, because right. you've got that several month lag delay, mm-hmm. you got to try to pick a time window where we've got enough time to develop it, test it, and then produce it in quantity before the yeah. seasonality hits. And so that's part of the challenge of why we don't build a lot of vaccines, uh, for these things that they, they mutate fairly quickly. Sure. Um, is it's really hard to to get that. You're basically guessing, and you have to guess yeah. a lot farther out. And, and if, if you guess wrong, you, you're not ahead of it, and it causes problems. We see that every few flu seasons. We yeah. pick the wrong strain or you know, various things. Will now, this is, this, is the f- this is so cool. So, yeah, collapsing that Gantt chart by a couple of months. I mean, part of actually the reason why we're getting this approved so quick um, isn't necessarily people saying, oh, they're rushing things. It's not the rushing things, you have to get a statistically significant number of people in the placebo control group have to get it. And then an equivalent number of not people get it to say we've reached statistical relevance. When you do the trial and then you immediately have a giant spike, it actually means you reach statistic significance. Uh, This is actually a problem for some of the vaccines being developed in places like Japan, where they're going to have to actually do their trials in places like the US and in Brazil and other places. All these trials, by the way, are multi-country. We're we're running buck wild. Because there's just not enough people with COVID (laughs) in Japan to to get the trial. So this is actually... What you're saying is, you're welcome, Earth. Like, yes, we're, yes. we're taking That's this it. bullet for you. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Basically, I mean, it's it's it, it is base. It is unethical to give some to basically say, "Hey, we're yeah. going to give you guys. We're going to give some of you the we vaccine. Need, we need we're going to give some of you not the vaccine." We're getting sick right now, so stand yeah. in this room. Good luck. Yeah, we we can, it's called a challenge vaccine, and it's generally regarded as unethical. They are doing some in the UK. <laughs> Uh, it's that's aimed at determining how many amount of viral fragments are needed to cause infection. There's reasons to do challenge trials. They're highly ethically dubious. Um, thankfully, we have enough morons going out clubbing every night still uh, that we were able to reach statistic significance very quickly. So, Truth. Nice. Hey, so I'm going to pivot to tech news because there's something that's actually been sitting on our notes for a while, but I feel like it's pretty relevant to this too. There was a uh, significant breakthrough in... Um, Google's deep learning AI, the DeepMind AI, uh, there there is a, I guess, a, a programmatic part of it, or, or maybe this is all of it. I'm not really sure where the, the fragmentation comes from, but AlphaFold, um, which is uh, leveraging DeepMind's AI uh, to do or an analyze protein folding, is, is now outperforming basically every other method that we use for protein folding. So think back a few yeah. episodes and anyone that's familiar with like the folding at home efforts, leveraging yep, yeah. your, so, yeah, I was like, how does this CPU compare cycles, to folding at home? Cycles. Well, 
it, it, one, it's it's obviously it's able to use some of the ASICs that we've discussed, which are hundreds, if not thousands, of times faster than like the GPUs for similar calculations. So it's able not to my take advantage of stuff like that. Yeah, sure. You you need you need some. It, Russ, you should be working on like GPU AI just for video games. Yeah, I feel no, like I, I feel like this is something you should be doing. I'll make a shift. But, um, and if you're listening, I got a new project. I need to work on. <laughs> uh, take me with you. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Um, the uh, with the well, there was one quote in in this article that was really cool, but it basically said that its predictions for how protein should fold, so looking for that structure, um, is indistinguishable from the methods that have thus far produced results in this space, um, hundreds of times over. So it just does this stuff right, and it's probably going to. I mean, literally, it's going to be a sea change in how we take advantage of uh, protein folding, which is how we end up doing a lot of research. I, I, I'm curious, John, if you know, like, do these do these fields actually merge? Are we using protein folding to determine stuff like what goes into the mRNA fragments? Or are they wildly different, you know, medical techniques? Uh, protein folding is used as part of trying to identify what's going to bind where. So, you know, there are there are references there. This isn't going to shut necessarily all the experimental labs like tomorrow, but this will help with a lot of kind of the the general theory. And, and the, the thing I've heard is that basically we're 20 years ahead of where we should be on this now. So, so um, this is this is pretty, you know, this is big news. Um, yeah, that's said, really neat. I mean, they've got a chart that I'm just trying to interpret here, and I guess there's a it's called the CASP CASP 14 protein folding contest in this alpha fold two, fold two. So, so the deep mind gen two of this AI, um, almost no more than more than two X, the performance of every other team in every previous year. I've just absolutely destroyed it, which is interesting and awesome. It's 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 I know we live in kind of dark times, so to speak, but um, there's always this perception that we've probably discovered everything cool and novel and game changing that we could discover and solve. But particularly within machine learning and some of those areas, um, we're we're just at the beginning towards reaching, you know, kind of hopefully that singularity where the computers just start developing themselves further and we all get to live happily in the matrix. Um, but, you know, we'll get there. that's the goal. Too. That's what we're looking for. What else? What else do we have out there in the tech news spectrum? I saw. Actually, I'm curious what you guys think about this, and I'm wondering if, if just 2020 has just changed everything about the world just forever, no matter what. So, it looks like Warner Brothers will release all of its new oh, 2021 movies simultaneously on HBO Max. The key thing here is, is they're stating that this is a temporary one year plan. And I laugh when I yeah hear no they're going to test that. this it's going to be wildly oh. successful they're going to make a lot of money and they are totally going to kill theaters well but they're not charging for the movies it's just bundled with the streaming fee so I think right. what I, I think that this is a test and this is a temporary plan to not charge for them being delivered as part of that 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 subscription service um, if you look at their revenues they need people paying you know twenty two bucks for two people to go see a movie. Sure. Um, they they need that long term, 
But I think what this is going to do how is just does Warner Brothers get from that. I mean, may, maybe you know the answer to this because I certainly don't. I know HBO Go is like twenty bucks a month steadily, but but what does, what, yeah. what does a theater get from a twelve dollar movie ticket or cut versus? I don't uh, think they get know, the majority. I, uh, I, I say this because I've seen I've seen small movie theaters complain about like their ability to. Stay yeah, so open. They, they make their money from popcorn sales. No, no, no. So the it's a sliding scale. So it's based on what week it is. So the first week, mm. the movie studio will get like an eighty percent rip or something, and then oh. as or opening weekend, and as it goes on, the longer it's running, the higher the cut theater gets for showing it to a largely increasingly empty room. Um, so yeah, no movie theaters. Movie, movie, movie theaters make their money on concessions, but that's why they're willing to power on, you know, the projector screen sure. for that matinee that's got six people in it. Um, one, they make the money on the popcorn and that. But the other thing is, is they're getting possibly, you know, an 80 percent rip on that ticket because it's been in theaters forever. Interesting. Well, and, and simultaneously here is a, is a word that caught me off guard initially, but it, my understanding is that they're, they're releasing in theater and on HBO Max at the same time for each film. Correct. It's not everything. Films, in some December. of these don't yes. get released until December of next year. Oh, yeah. No, it's, that, right? it's a simultaneous release with the theater. With the theaters. The it's just the worth, worth well, clarifying because when I first yeah. thought, I was like, dang, they already have all that built out. Like this is the rollout schedule is literally just to try to, you know, cherry pick what happens in theaters. No, no, no. It's, it's so the, the other thing to think about also is global distribution. So I remember I was in Bangkok and I saw the Transformers movie and I technically got to see it 24 hours ahead of everybody in the US because, you know, when you're in Asia, you live one day in the future. Uh, but one thing to think about is different areas of the world, their theaters are going to be open, some will not. And when you start doing staggered distribution rather than global openings, your ch- your risk of piracy starting to seep in. People get kind of bitter when a movie's out two months before they get to see it. Yeah. And they're just going to go download and, you know, people are going to pirate it. And this helps right prevent back to our access conversation. Yeah. Piracy and music kind of evaporated once streaming services were reasonably priced and you could buy songs for a dollar. Um, the, the, the thing here though, is, is they're saying, look, let's, let's assume people don't want to have to mess with, you know, doing sketchy things with sketchy websites and we'll deliver a 4k streaming experience with good audio and we'll yeah. do it under our existing streaming platform. We'll shore that platform up. We'll do this in the meanwhile. This is about, you know, making hay while the sun shines fundamentally. Um, I, I find it hard to believe that there isn't some financial mechanism in the back with HBO that that they're toying with here, though. Right. Because I, I think it's it's easy for them to say, hey, this is a one time deal. We're not going to do this going forward. But they have to be crunching numbers and saying, hmm, if we can actually release it this way and we could get a bigger cut of HBO and new subscribers that we think are hey, HBO max is only they, 20 bucks a month though. So, I mean, it's, it's insignificant comparatively perhaps, but if they see a boon in their subscribership that they can relate directly to this release or this release structure, then that gives Warner brothers uh, a better negotiation standpoint with HBO. I'm just saying there's no way this isn't also something that they're investigating financially. And if it is successful financially, Minding that they're not going to get $22 for every, you know, two adults that go and see it or whatever. Um, There, there is potential here for something that ends up being good for everyone, arguably. No, I, I I think there's that, but um, the other challenge is going to be rebooting 
um, traditional. And this is actually, I think, doing the simultaneous. It helps establish a reboot for theaters being able to open where they can. Because the problem was before is movies were basically getting put on the shelf and they're saying, well, let's just keep kicking the can down the road. Let's keep kicking the can down the road. And in some cases, they were getting sold to streaming services uh, like Tom Hanks. Um, yeah, I saw uh, that a lot. His movie, uh, Andy Sandberg's uh, excellent movie on Hulu, if you haven't watched um, uh, Palm Springs. These other movies were starting to just get picked up by general all-you-can-eat streaming competitors under some pretty probably long-term deals and they're doing this just for 30 days. So you've only got 30 days. Um, and since they've got a rolling calendar across the 12 days, that'll help cut some of that. But the other thing is, is for the theaters that can open, this gives them a date to work from. And then, cause without a bunch of movies coming out on a bunch of different dates, the theaters aren't going to staff themselves. And then it, beca- and as they go further and further into bankruptcy, um, it becomes this challenge of like, okay, the bondholders, I guess, will take over. But are the bondholders really have enough financing? Are they going to who wants to gather the financing to try to figure out when they this at least says, OK, guys, let's give some CPR to the industry on both sides and actually yeah. let the theaters open who, who want to enter in, in, in a situation, particularly as the vaccine starts rolling out and some areas start to see their numbers drop a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting perspective. And in, in all I'll really add to it is, is that I, I really do not want theaters to go away. And I think we've talked about not this yet. before because I'm a huge fan of it. My wife and I both love going. We want to be able to take our daughter there so she can annoy everyone else in the theater. Like we're looking forward to those days. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, this is it's an interesting thing. And, and I appreciate the perspective. I wanted to add something else here because I just can't get over it. I think it's hilarious. It's, it's a PSA, I think. And the PSA is going to be, for all of the people out there, please do not put your router <laughs> into a steel freaking box. A Faraday cage <laughs> yeah. for your router. It is unbelievable. Did you guys see oh this? Oh my gosh, I did. And I read some of the reviews that were snippeted. And it was like, I put my router in the Faraday cage to prevent it from causing whatever they think it's causing. And now my <laughs> signal sucks. And yes. Yes, it does. That's what you did it with. It you looks like a wastebasket just turned upside down, it. though. Like it's it's a three hundred dollar upside down wastebasket, though, John. It's got a hole for the cable to come in now. So my favorite one is that is the review that says this does not work. <laughs> we tried this cage; it does not reduce the signal at all on either of my routers. Which, first of all. Solid routers, bro. Um, Returned it and put them into a solid metal box. Now I can tell the signal is half of what it was. Do not purchase this item because it is a ripoff. So this person is is providing some pretty solid advice, just not on the basis of of anything reasonable. It's cheaper to go get a bag of Quickrete and throw some rebar in there and really mess things up. Like You don't need to pay people for this. This is just this is just incredible. <laughs> the amount of people that like think there are some people who genuinely believe that this pandemic was caused so that they could roll out five G and that five G was going to kill everyone. I mean, it's just an unbelievable thing. I mean, a total that, loss that no one just someone just go Google non ionizing radiation or something, please, and just learn about what it is that you are so afraid of. Because I had a professor this, this in college. stuff is amazing to me. One, one of my physics professors, and this used to like just totally chap him too. And uh, he, as a result of something bubbling up the news in 2000 something, he, uh, he made us all do the calculations for the penetrative 
penetrative ability of non-iodizing radiation from a cell phone. So basically doing the research, we had to write a paper about it and then do the math that showed what it was capable of pushing through the antennas, through the spectrum it's allowed to use, which you can verify and see whether or not that radio signal could even get through your skin. Spoiler alert, it could. You did that? Oh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not. I mean, I, I wish I had. I should have just looked up a definition to read off of it. But basically, in my mind, it means that it doesn't have. It doesn't have enough energy to really move anything. So to move any of the electrons yeah. from atoms and degrade the cells, like it, it doesn't have enough energy to do what you think that it's doing. <laughs> well, it, it can't even do the, the basic one. Like it can't excite a single electron. It doesn't have the energy to change a state. So it's, it's not. Yes, yeah. But you guys exactly. are forgetting the five, the, the, the five, the five Hertz signal. Uh, this is actually a legitimate complaint <laughs> by one of my neighbors on, Next door, the five, five G's, the five hertz. I'm like, wait, it's it's got wait. super bass. Like, there's a bass driver. <laughs> but but the 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 interesting thing is, you know, in, in terms of this, is that first off, a lot of the stuff's using existing frequency already that we're already using. Correct. So it's just changing the encoding, which the most important thing is that moot. So the sub six bands were already in use on four and three G. So who cares? Uh, the stuff that's in the ultra high frequency stuff, uh, the 22 gigahertz and that band and stuff like that. Um, that stuff can't go through my low E windows. Like actually like Verizon is running a 5g, uh, ultra high frequency oh, yeah, network in my area. And they're, they were like, yeah, we'd have to install the antenna outside your house. Cause these low E windows filter it. That's so awesome. if you're that paranoid about that stuff, um, it doesn't, windows. yeah. Like Just modern building, window around with you everywhere you go, modern <laughs> building, co- you know, you know, what will stop it. A door, like, a door. <laughs> Yeah, because we we know that doors stop all forms of radiation, right? So that's the uh, that's the catch here. So you're good. Just just put a door there. Uh, Chernobyl never well, happened. If you want to talk about what never. goes through everything, it's actually the stuff that operates in the 200 and 150 megahertz pagers. Like that's the real evil that's punching through everything in concrete. And cancer rates have gone up since we invented pagers. There's your new conspiracy, there. people. Wait a minute. So do people still use pagers? Uh, yeah, hospitals. That's partly why they use them is because they operate in these crazy low frequency and, bands and that'll punch through anything. where do you find anything. the most cancer patients? Hmm. In a hospital. In hospitals. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, really man. Uh, the silly I hope nobody's that susceptible. Yeah, we, we really have. I think, I think we're getting to the point that we need to shut this podcast. We, I, yes, yes. On, on that note, and, and again, if, if you're that susceptible to conspiracy theories, uh, my apologies, maybe don't listen to this I, it's not something i usually say but uh, all in all we love our listeners and we're glad you joined us and john thank you very much for joining us again this is a super fun session um always great to have you for the financial perspective super special awesome to have your knowledge around uh the the pandemic and the vaccines that are coming out no doubt in part to your wife so thanks to her and her contributions as well But that brings another Tech Breakfast podcast to a close. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. Tell your friends. Thanks for subscribing. And we will talk to you next week. Later.